the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and I will return, and I will reimburse you for any extra expense 
you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. I've just read the story of the Good Samaritan. It's found in Luke, the 10th chapter. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We're Ray and Alexandra Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for joining us today. In this parable, we see an interesting shift happen. So the parable begins with this legal expert asking, Who is my neighbor? Jesus has just told him that the way to have eternal life is to love God with our whole being and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So this legal expert is asking, well, then who is my neighbor? In other words, who is it that I'm required to love? Surely I don't have to love everybody. Well, now, in telling this story, Jesus turns the question around and he says, what do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor? to the man who encountered thieves. And then the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Jesus flips the question here. Jesus wants us to not be asking, who is my neighbor? But he wants us to be the neighbor. He wants us to have this way of thinking and way of being as we go through life, where we're thinking, who can I be a neighbor to? And there's two words I want to call attention to. In verse 33, it says, A Samaritan who was on a journey came to where the man was, but when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. We've spoken a lot about compassion this past week. And you'll recall compassion comes from the word that means bowels, your intestines. And the word compassion means you are experiencing a pain, a moving in your bowels because you see another person's pain or suffering. Now this word mercy in 37, then the legal expert said the one who demonstrated mercy toward him was the neighbor. This is a different word than compassion, but it's similar. Mercy is where we feel compassion or pity. For who? For one who is miserable or afflicted. The man in this story was naked, dying on the side of the road, beaten half to death. And it's very troubling that the Levite and the priest, it says, both saw the injured man but they passed to the other side of the street. It wasn't that they didn't know he was there. They knew he was there, and they deliberately passed to the other side. But the Samaritan, when he saw the injured man, he was moved with compassion, and that compassion was combined with a desire to help the person. That's what mercy is. It's where we feel the compassion, and that's linked with the desire to help the person, And it results in action. And so what Jesus is saying very simply here is that when we see people who are afflicted, who are injured, perhaps physically like this man was, or 
in another way and we see them he's saying don't pass by on the other side but instead go and alleviate their suffering help them meet whatever their needs are and in this way we have eternal life the levite did not have eternal life in this story the priest in the story did not have eternal life these were both men who appeared to be very religious they would stand in front of a large group of people proclaim the word of god but they weren't showing compassion i have to come at this story from a whole different perspective as I read this story, I have to say, I feel like the man who was beat up. I feel like the man who was robbed. I feel like the man who is unable to help himself. And as I look at that story, it seems to me very clear that we all need a good Samaritan. We all need someone who will come and bind up our wounds, who will pour in the oil and the wine. What is the wine for? It's a disinfectant for bloody wounds so that infection does not begin. The oil is to soften and comfort, and it's a healing agent. So the wounds were bound with oil, but first with wine, so that no infection would come into that wound. All of us come to this story wounded, broken, knowing that the life we have we have because someone had mercy upon us and that someone who came and found us bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road is none other than the Good Samaritan well who is the Good Samaritan in the story well it's the one who had compassion it's the one who proved himself to be a neighbor but more specifically I believe Jesus is the Good Samaritan. Jesus came and made himself nothing. He came and, and died on Calvary for you and for me. He was considered an outcast. You know that in that day the Samaritans were cast out they were not treated as human beings our Lord and our Savior was not treated as a human being he was treated as a wicked man being punished and it was for our transgressions that he took upon himself as an atoning sacrifice and he died when he rose from that grave, Jesus now became the fullness 
of the Good Samaritan. And he found me bleeding and dying beside the road, and he poured in the oil and the wine, the oil of the Holy Spirit, the wine of his blood, cleansing and comforting and healing. I don't know how you feel today, but if you're feeling beat up and broken and you don't know which way to go, which way to turn, there is a good Samaritan and he will not walk by on the other side and leave you to die in your condition. He will come at great personal expense and bind up your wounds and bring healing to you. So if we're going to do what Jesus said in this story, if we're going to be this neighbor, we first have to receive any healing that's necessary for our wounds. Now, let's be clear here. Jesus is speaking about those who are actually afflicted, people who are actually injured. There are so many people in our immediate area who are like this, and you may be one of them. You may be someone who is indeed very injured and afflicted. He's not speaking here about going and confronting a Levite. He's not speaking about going and confronting a priest and trying to make them see that they're really afflicted and they just don't know it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the people who are actually suffering. Now, I bring this up because it has hurt my heart to be part of many worship services where I or somebody else I knew in that meeting was in need of some serious help and no one even discovered it because nobody even got to know who I was or who the, the other person was. So I went to a number of meetings, a number of church meetings, and then I didn't have anywhere to sleep that night, so I would go sleep in a tent in the woods. And this went on for about a month, with me going to three meetings a week, and no one even troubled themselves to figure out that that was what was going on, and the handful of people who did know seemed to think that it was my own fault, and so they didn't want to help me. Now, this happens in other ways. I have another friend who is currently struggling to pay for some rather hefty legal fees. She's fighting for the custody of her son. And I was heartbroken to go to a service with her, and not one person said, how can I pray for you today? How can I help you today? So there is a very important aspect of this where first we have to ask what healing Am I now in need of, if any? And if you need prayer today, please call us and we'll pray for you. If you're saying, I need healing and I need help, I need someone to pray for me, you're welcome to call us. Our number is 877-534-0780. Again, that's 877-534-0780. Now another question here is, in the past, how have you been healed by Jesus? In the past, how have you been healed by Jesus and or other people who cared about you? 
and this forms a wonderful basis for our testimony and also it's having had that experience of love and care and healing from Jesus that then we can go out and touch others so that brings us to now okay we've been healed we've been restored like this injured man was and now we're to go out and do the same thing that the Good Samaritan did and also that the innkeeper did which we'll talk about in a moment so both of these people saw a person who was miserable who was afflicted who was injured and then they were moved with compassion and acted in mercy to help them so this first raises the question this past week who did you see that was afflicted and what action did you take to help them now if you didn't help them what could you have done now sometimes we don't help because we're not sure how to help or we don't feel that we are confident enough in prayer but I just want you to think about these questions for a moment this past week who did you see that was afflicted what action did you take to help them and if you didn't help them what could you have done so Jesus is telling this story this parable but he's really identifying the fact that he is the Good Samaritan and as he comes to us with healing and with restoration we're changed we're made righteous we leave our sin it's sin that causes us to be broken it's stubbornness and sin that gives us bitterness of heart causing us not to forgive others causing us to be judgmental and harsh it's out of our pain our anguish Jesus comes not to judge John 3.17 probably is as important or more important than John 3.16 for it tells us that Jesus did not come to condemn but to save to restore so Jesus comes to save and to restore how does he do that? Well, he does that by being the Good Samaritan for us and teaching us then to become Good Samaritans. I'd like to share a practical example. This is I've recently been looking into this whole question of homosexuality and transgenderism. And I'm kind of ashamed to say this, but I based kind of based on like the political rhetoric, I was always under the impression that a transgender person was very firm in their beliefs that they were to be transgender and that they had you know made this decision willfully and I was very disturbed as I actually started looking into this question to discover that a lot of these people had gone to a doctor because they were confused and the doctors were actually recommending to them that they have surgery to remove their functioning reproductive organs and replace it with something that looks like an organ of the opposite sex but does not actually function 
and I found a documentary called Transformed. It does in-depth interviews with 15 men and women who were formerly transgender who became Christians, and they talk about their journey of how they found healing in Jesus. And the one thing that they all identified of what help they needed to come out of that transgender experience, they, they all said that they needed compassion without compromise. So they said that that would look something like this, where they would, if they were to go to you for advice or for counseling, you might say something like, I don't agree with your decision, but I am going to walk with you. You're still welcome to come here. I'm still going to love you and I'm going to be here for you. Because it took these people several years to really recover from this experience because what was really happening is they were being taken advantage of. They were in a place where they were confused and they were being taken advantage of by doctors or by other people who had an interest in them undergoing this procedure. And it's not something they probably would have chosen if there had been someone in their life who would have loved them and nurtured them in another way. Now, I know that's a bit of a sidetrack here, but what I'm trying to say is that it's very important that we not be critical or judgmental of the people we're trying to help when they're actually injured and suffering. They want help, they want to be healed, and they just have not known enough about Jesus, or they haven't known anything about Jesus, to really come to him. And so it's us being Jesus to that person with that combination of those clear, uncompromising boundaries with the compassion that can really help them get free and begin a new life in Jesus. ready? I want to come back again to this same question, to the same issue, and that is the Good Samaritan. Most of us in our lives have not really been filled with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you make a decision that you are going to follow Jesus, and not compromise. And you're going to deal with people who are dealing with transgender issues or homosexuality issues or, or other issues. And you just take a stand on the side of Jesus without being critical, without being judgmental. You simply take a stand on the side of Jesus and call people to utterly give themselves up to Jesus and surrender to Jesus, much healing will begin to take place in their lives. We don't need to compromise with transgenderism or homosexuality. We need to take a firm stand on what is right and wrong from a biblical perspective, and then with great love and tenderness, minister to that person. 
they should not have someone to fight against in you. The battle they're waging is with the power of darkness versus Jesus. And as we stand for Jesus, he as the good Samaritan will come to that person and begin to minister to them. Now, part of what we need to talk about. I just wanted to jump in here again on this issue of not compromising. What's so important is we actually need to have a good answer for why certain behaviors are sinful. Now, if a person can see from the pattern of choices they've made that those choices have been destructive, then that is very good evidence for you to use to help them see that they need to change what they're doing. It's not super helpful to just say, well, you shouldn't have children without being married. Why? Well, because God said so, because that's not how God made the family. Okay, that's not going to get a lot of traction, but we all are very familiar either through our personal experience or through people we know and probably the people you're trying to help with the horrible destruction that arises when you have two unmarried people in fighting over money, fighting over custody, physical abuse. It's horrible. And anyone in that situation will say, you're right, I absolutely shouldn't have done that. And you'll even find non-Christian people saying, I should not have had sex until I was married. And they'll have reasons for it. They'll say, I, I went through a lot of heartbreak. I wasted years of my life. I perhaps got a sexual disease. There's real reasons why sin is bad. That's what I'm saying. Sin is bad because it produces destruction. And when you we can get people to see that, then it doesn't sound like we're presenting Jesus or God as this kind of authoritative figure who just wants to punish us, but it helps people see that God actually has their best interests in mind and that God wants them to make healthy decisions that are actually good for them and that are good for others and that they can help other people and they can live a happy, healthy, whole life in Jesus. So it's not helpful to compromise because it's not actually in the person's best interest. So let's get a bigger picture of this story. You have a man who is on the road. He is beaten up. He is robbed. He is left for dying. The heat, the sun will quickly finish him off. And as he's laying there, dying, stripped, beaten, and bleeding, two men, righteous, self-righteous, religious figures, walk by. Then Jesus says, a Samaritan comes by. He's the last one who would be expected to help a Jewish man. Jesus is that good Samaritan. And what does he do with the man? After binding up his wounds, he puts him on his donkey and he walks while he carries this man to the closest inn. And there he pays two denarii or two silver coins and, and stays the night with this man. 
spends the night ministering to him. And in the morning, he has to go on to his appointments. So he says, take care of this man. To the innkeeper. To the innkeeper. Take care of this man. And when I return, I will pay you if there's any additional expenses in helping this man to recover. Well, who is the innkeeper in this story? We want to suggest to you that the innkeeper is the church. That when Jesus goes out and he finds a man beaten, he takes him to the innkeeper. Now, Jesus did exactly that. He left his disciples in charge and instructed them that they were to go out and find those beaten and dying. And they were to pour in the oil and the wine, and they were to bring them to the inn or to the church. So the church's function in this story, and I could show you this from many other passages of Scripture, for example, the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Jesus is saying, bring the wounded, those who've been harmed, after binding up their wounds, bring them to the church. The church then becomes a place of nurturance, of love, of care. It is not a formal meeting where a sick person walks in and walks out and nothing has been said to them and no one has prayed for them and no one has found out what their needs are. We can imagine this, this man, he was first robbed, then stripped of his clothing, then beaten up. So he had a number of needs. He didn't just need the physical recovery. It would certainly take at least several days in this inn for him to recover physically. But he's also going to need new clothing. He's going to need something restored from what was stolen for him. We don't know if everything he owned was stolen from him. We don't know if he's just going to need enough money to get back home, but he's certainly going to need some money. He's going to need some clothing to get back on his feet. And so the church fulfills a variety of these, of meeting these types of needs. It's the physical healing, it's clothing, it's money, it's just being there for the person. It's a secure place. It's a secure it's place. It's a safe place. Yes, because it takes time for someone to recover from this kind of trauma. We're having a hard time coordinating between us who's going to talk next. We have a signal we use, and Alexandra's not using that signal. So would you please do that? But we want, to, we want to broaden this out, please. I want to give you the big sweep, and then we're going to come back and tie it together. Jesus came as the Good Samaritan. He died on Calvary for you. He came to minister to you the oil and the wine. And then... He wants to bring you to the church that is to be a safe place, a place of mercy and compassion. 
then he gives direction that those people who have been healed are now to go out and do likewise. Amen. And bring into the church those who are bruised and broken and that they will find healing there, physical, emotional, spiritual healing. And it takes time. And so the church gathers in the name of Jesus Christ to do the work of Jesus Christ. And he sent his Holy Spirit to us. And that's why I'm going to say this. I hope you understand it. Every worship service of the church is an upper room experience. It is a place of unity and love and peace. And it's a place where we come to be filled again by the power of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. It's a place where we come that we can be healed of any brokenness that we have. It's a place where we inquire after one another and where we carry one another's burdens, as it says in the book of Galatians. It is not a place where we bite and devour each other. It's not a place where we come together to fire our pastor because somehow he hasn't done what we thought he should do. The church is a community of the wounded who are in the process of healing. There's an old Jewish um, parable about how you can recognize the Messiah. You can recognize the Messiah by looking out at the city gate where the wounded gather, where the unclean gather. And there you will find the Messiah binding up his own wounds and binding up the wounds of others. And Henry Nouwen referred to this in his book, The Wounded Healer and called Jesus the ultimate wounded healer. In other words, all of us, as we go through this life, are being wounded by people who are angry and bitter with us. We're wounded by people who reject us. We're wounded by people who steal from us. We're wounded by people who take advantage of us and our finances of a man who had his house stolen from him. We're, we're crying out to God for that man. In other words, the church is a place where wounded people gather who are healed in the name of Jesus by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And then they go out in their jobs in their activities with their families. And they find others who are wounded and they bring them back to the church. And Jesus said, the innkeeper will be paid for what he does. 
In other words, the church will have the money to care for the people they need to care for if that is a cry of their heart. Now, there is a problem, and it's a huge problem. If you decide that you are going to serve Jesus Christ and him alone, and you make that decision and you say, Jesus, I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to look to you. I'm not going to walk in sin. Every attack of the enemy will come against you. And you will probably be blown away. That's why in the story of Jackie Pullinger that we've shared with you, when she prayed, when they prayed for a drug addict, they needed that person right then to be baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, the drug addiction was broken. You cannot walk on your own as a Christian. You will be destroyed. You must have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He comes to change us into the likeness of Jesus, and he comes to give us the covering and the strength to walk the Christian life and to defeat Satan's every attack against us. You do not have to walk being destroyed by the attacks of Satan if you are baptized in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So we come to you today urging you to consider the questions that, Alexander, you raised at the beginning. I think you probably need to go through those questions again. Yes. So our job as Jesus said, we're to be the neighbor, we're to be the good Samaritan, but we're also to be the innkeeper. We're to be the company or the community, the group of people where it is safe for those very vulnerable, tender, sensitive, new converts or people who are coming to Jesus to find the help to find Jesus Christ himself. So I really want you to think how you can do this in your life. We're in, it's not helpful to look at what everybody else is doing wrong. We want to look at, okay, well, how can I actually be this person who Jesus said to be? How can I be the Good Samaritan? How can I be the innkeeper? So today's Monday. So this is a good time to ask this question. This coming week, who will you see who is afflicted? In other words, are there people you have seen routinely or seen more than once or you know you're going to a certain area and those people are going to be there? Who will you see this week who is afflicted and what will you do to help them? Now, as I said, I have a number of... of young women who I've been reaching out to and I know that there's some women this week who I need to go and sit with them and listen to them 
and pray for them about something very specific that I had not been able to really come up to faith on before for their healing. Now there's another question here, which is what about those who we will meet unexpectedly this week? The Good Samaritan in this story was not expecting to meet a man who had just been robbed and stripped naked and beaten and left on the side of the road. This was an unexpected thing for him. He had to change his schedule for at least two days to help this person. He was just going to Jericho and he sees this man on the side of the road and he says, well, I'm going to cancel the rest of my plans for today and I'm going to go help this man. He put out a lot of money to help this man. It says two full days worth of wages. So this raises the question for us is, how will we be prepared to meet those this coming week who we're going to meet unexpectedly? Now, I encourage you to brainstorm on this question. I was doing some brainstorming and here's some things that I came up with. Uh, one example that I'm very encouraged by Jackie Pullinger for is that she's, she would go about her life always praying often praying in tongues, just praying throughout the day as she's walking down the street, as she's on the bus. The scripture talks about this as praying without ceasing. And what it does is it puts us in a, a spiritual or a heavenly frame of mind where we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and we're ready and we're quick to respond. Because if we're not doing this, things like this will happen. We'll run into someone unexpectedly and then we won't really know what to do. And then later on, after we've had some time to reflect on the encounter, we say, oh, I should have prayed for that person, or I should have done this, I should have done that. And you just didn't think of it at the time. Well, the, an excellent way to, to prevent that from happening is to be always praying, either in tongues or in your native language. And as you're going through this, when people are talking to you and you're listening to them and they start to share their problems with you, ask if you can pray with them. Don't just express sympathy or try to figure out some problem solving, but make sure that you pray with them as well. Other things you can do include keeping cash, snacks, extra gas in your car, like a, a gallon or two of gas car repair tools, or bottled water with you. I have a Christian friend who's very handy, and he always keeps a full set of car repair tools in his car, and just regularly, whenever he sees someone stopped on the side of the road with a car problem, he just stops and helps repair their car. And this has been a wonderful way for him to witness about Christ to people he meets. You could begin by keeping local police and fire department phone numbers in your contacts. You never know when you're going to need those. And as I said just a minute ago, the important thing is that we're willing to change our plans or change our schedule for some or all of the day if we, if we do happen to encounter someone with a rather severe problem. Did but, you have some ideas? But let's come back to a very simple premise. When you go to your job, when you go to your work, there are going to be people there who feel beat up. They may have their clothes on, but they're going to be emotionally feeling like they're at the dead end. Mm -hmm. They're broken. They're, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. 
Yes, I just went this past week and visited someone at work, and he looked like he was just in so much pain. I said, what's wrong? You look like you're in pain. We were able to talk about it. And on another occasion, uh, a manager of a store looked like he was very stressed one day. And I stopped him and I said, come here. I want to pray with you. And I just prayed right there in the store. And I asked that the peace of Jesus would begin to come into his heart, that he would be freed of his stress. He was having a hard time because a family member had just passed away, and he also had an a annual audit that night for his for and his he, store that he managed. And he was very stressed. Uh, when we finished praying, he looked at me and he said, Jesus heard your prayer. And the next day he said to me, the peace of God came into my heart. And we had the audit last night, and I got a 98 out of 100. Well, awesome. But it was that small act of kindness that meant everything to him. To pray with someone is powerful. And to pray in tongues is even more powerful. Not with them necessarily, but in your own heart. Some of you cannot pray in tongues and you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you're in trouble. You need to be baptized in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit if you are going to be a good Samaritan. We get caught in our social circle in the church. And I've been a churchman all of my life. I was in church the first weekend after I was born. I was in church. And I very seldom have ever missed a worship service. But I'll tell you what. I want to see compassion and mercy and grace in church. I want to see the church actually be what it is called to be in the scriptures. A place of safety, a place of repose, a place of encouragement, a place of teaching on how to walk in righteousness before a holy God. A place where people care enough about each other to take that time to do whatever is necessary. I need to do a dump run. I have several things that are large that I need to take to the dump. I've not been able to do it. But a brother in the church said, Pastor, can I come down next Saturday and I'll bring my truck and we'll get all that stuff out for you. Oh, that'd be awesome. Thank you. He was a good Samaritan to me. This is the kind of life we need to live in the body of Christ. But... I just want to jump in here. This is not difficult to do because we're doing for other people things that we would do for ourselves if we were in that situation. So we know how to write a resume or we know how to write a one-page email to an attorney. Well, not everyone knows how to do that, but they need those things done. And so 
we're just doing for them what we would do for ourselves if we were in that same situation. So it's not difficult. It wasn't hard what this good Samaritan did for this wounded man on the side of the road. It didn't require special training. It didn't require special education. But he was, this is what it means to love someone as yourself. You're just doing for them what you would do for yourself if you were in the same situation. Now, part of what is happening at the National Prayer Chapel is that God is breathing upon us and we are doing what we're talking about. And if you'd like to be a part of that, you're welcome to be. We meet at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning. And we'd love to see you. We'd like to meet you. How can we minister to you? How can we help you? What do you need? Um, we have a Lord and a Savior who knows how to meet our needs. And as we go to him, he knows how to meet us. And he'll know how to meet you. So if you'd like to be a part of what God is beginning to shape and form into an incredible miracle of grace, call me, 703-489-1785. Again, that number, 703-489-1785. Now, we've only got five minutes left in today's broadcast. Uh, we'd like to talk just very briefly about where we're at financially. The month of October is almost over, and we are still $1,750 short of having the money to cover for our offering to cover the WAVA radio bill. I have absolute confidence it's coming. Uh, I know God has always met us, and he's moved in you to give. So you can give online at nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. Or you can mail directly to us an offering. If God is calling you to give, would you write to us now? The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also give online at nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. Well, we're almost out of time. I want to come back and highlight one thing that we've said today. And that is... Without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you do not have the power to stand against the devil's attacks. And you will be wiped out time after time if your heart is to follow Jesus, but you are not baptized in his spirit. So I'd like to take a minute now and just pray for you. Almighty God, we come to pray for each person listening to this broadcast. And Lord, I come asking for you to meet them as the Good Samaritan today. 
Lord, I can't see them, I can't hear them, but you know who they are and you know the brokenness of their heart. So I ask Jesus, would you come and meet each person listening? And as they surrender to you, Jesus, would you baptize them in the fullness of Pentecost? Would you baptize them in your spirit? Will you grant to them the strength to not be swept away by all of the attacks Satan wants to bring against your people? Lord, I know I can do nothing on my own. You said that in John 15. I can do nothing without you. Lord, we're coming asking you to be the Good Samaritan and to teach us how to be Good Samaritans. But in the midst of all of this, what we're really asking is for the fullness, the direction, and the baptism of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, for us, church is upper room. And we come beseeching and asking and waiting upon you. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, where Ray and Alexandra Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I just want to encourage you today, as you reach out and you are the Good Samaritan to the people around you, feel free to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit in how to disciple those people. Perhaps have them come over to your house for a Bible study. They don't have to come every single Sunday to your church. We're trying to make disciples of Jesus. So follow the lead of the Spirit, keep praying for them, and let us know what happens. We'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We're Ray and Alexandra Greenlee. We love you. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.